and drive home a couple of points. We're looking really at a single word today uh, and the concept around it. It's not a single word in your English, but it is in, in, the, in the Greek. So let's read the whole verses. Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. We looked last week at the likewise, the necessity of using Christ as our example for our role as husbands in our home, which is very different than wives who are using Christ as an example of submission. And again, Christ submitting to his Father's will, submitting even to the point of death because of a greater good that was within the context of his Father's will. And so our wives were instructed to submit to their husbands as a matter of being submissive to God, who places these authorities in our life, even as Christ submitted and cried out, even in great despair, uh, or great agony at least, um, not my will but yours be done, to his own Father. And now the likewise is about being Christ-like as the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church in Ephesians 5 is where we went to look at that last week and that is our model there that we are wanting to present our brides as Christ presents his bride without blemish, without spot, that um, we are going to uh, lift them up. And when we look at cultures throughout uh, the world and throughout time, you will find consistently that the cultures that are impacted by Christianity uh, have always elevated the role of women. And it is fascinating how we see that ignored, that history ignored, um, in the description of that uh, in these last 40 years or so, 50 years, um, in the women's liberation movement that somehow uh, uh, Christian men were holding them, women, back, and we find quite the reverse as you go through history and really do a good study of that. And, uh, and going back even into the Roman period and, and on forward, you see the role of women very diminished. You see it in other faiths, very diminished, um, to the point that they are oppressed, essentially. Uh, not the case where Christianity uh, flourishes, true Christianity, uh, not in its aberrant forms, but in its true form, always raises that because we are called upon by men to elevate our wives uh, to that place of, of being better graced because of being in that relationship than being outside of it. Just as we are better graced by having Christ as our head than having him not in our life. So we looked at that likewise. Then the whole idea of dwelling with them in knowledge, uh, that we have an understanding of women, that we understand their needs, that it is uh, our responsibility to know them and to know them well. And uh, again, the world tells us that's not possible. Men don't understand women, blah, 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 blah. And we know better. And God's word demands more. And we cannot use these things of the world to diminish our responsibility or to excuse ourselves from them. And that's going to come to place here as well in our understanding of the concept of giving honor to the wife. 
And we're going to have to work on this a little bit. And I'm going to have to take you to some other passages that aren't necessarily about husbands and wives um, to understand this concept of giving honor. Uh, the world would think of giving honor of it to the point of almost worship. Uh, and it, it's presented in a twisted and warped way. Uh, when the world talks about, well, I'm going to honor my wife, and we use terms uh, that, that demonstrate how twisted their concepts are of this, they'll use terms like this, a trophy wife, uh, something you show off, and, and that you have to look the, this part, and that she has to be appealing to the eye, she has to be all these things very accomplished, and all of this, that we are uh, showing that off, and uh, that's really not what's entailed in this concept of giving honor to our wives. It is uh, on two bases that we are to give honor in this verse. We're going to talk about those two bases here in a little bit. And that is uh, as to a weaker vessel and, so we have two things, and heirs together the grace of life. And so uh, we're going to talk and focus on these. These are very two different concepts of how to honor our wives. As the weaker vessel and as heirs together with us in the grace of life. And so we are treating them with and honoring them in those roles. And again, we think of, well, honoring them as giving them gifts. We think of Mother's Day, we're going to honor our mothers, and we give them flowers and presents and say nice things one day out of the year, and that's honoring them. And, and that's really not in, in, encased in this concept. Uh, it's really... Uh, some other concepts that are there that are more accurate to what he's calling us to. To really get a handle on this, let's jump to another passage in Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, if you'll turn with me. And you'll see why here, I hope, very quickly as we read this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you'll turn there, this is the spiritual gifts chapter that we talk about, the body of Christ having many members and yet having, uh, serving one another. Uh, and so, as I said, it is not necessarily referencing uh, the husband and wife role, but we want to look at the concept of honor and what it means. And that's where we're going to pick up in uh, verse 18, and we're going to read through quite a ways, and so we can get the concept here and bring it into First Peter. It says, but now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and the members individually, individually. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles and gifts of healing, helps, administration, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. 
Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Though I have a gift of prophecy, understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Though I bestow my goods to the feed the poor, though I give my body be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall now just know, just as I also am known. And now by faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit speaks, he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. And I'm going to stop right there. Probably a lot longer than you thought I was going to read. We're going to bring together a large concept of what it means to honor our wives. And so we're looking at a lot of principles in this one word. And you saw it reflected in the earlier parts of this passage where we talk about the members of our body. That we have weaker members and we have more presentable members. And those weaker members are not less essential. They are still necessary even though they are weaker. Even though they... Um, are not presentable, even though they may not be something that we talk about a lot, we, we recognize their importance and we uh, shelter them uh, in terms of modesty, but we also protect them in terms of, of making sure that no injury comes to them uh, because we recognize that they are exposed sometimes to greater injury, and so we take precautions there. And so when we talk about this concept of honoring it, Paul uses the same terminology to refer to all of that that's in, in wrap, wrapped up in that. And, the, and when I talk about there are better words than the concept of showing off or, or pray, you know, all these other words and concepts that people put with honor of, of you know, telling them how wonderful they are and boosting their ego kind of thing. That is not involved in this at all. It, it, there are better words. The words are like, protection, provision, um, and, and enhancing their capacity to do their job. Essentially what we're doing is recognizing, first of all, that they have a biblical role in our lives. This goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden where we begin to understand that it is not good for man to be alone. That we are social creatures that we need that those relationships in our lives. And that's what this whole portion of Peter has been about, relationships. And we've come down to now, um, outside your relationship with God, the most intimate human relationship you have, and that is with your a husband and his wife. And so we find that here in that relationship, that we recognize that while God has called me to headship, I do not lord that over her, but I recognize that she was given to me as a gift from God to help me. And thus she is, though a weaker vessel, and maybe has not the, the same capabilities as I, which I assume she would not, because if 
I don't need her to do what I do. I need her to do what I can't do or don't do very well. I need that compliment. I need that, that completion. I need that helper. Uh, and hopefully we understand the role of a helper. Now, my wife works with me a lot in things that she is not thrilled with all the times. Right? She keeps telling me, I'm not a farm girl. I was like, just hold this, okay, while I do this. And she's a great holder of this while I do that. And, and if you've ever been to construction, she also helps me with the construction up there. And we're working away, and I was just, you don't have to do all the cutting, hammering, all that, but I need you to hold this end while I take care of this over here. I need you to, to just help. I don't expect her to have all the knowledge and skill to do the whole job. I need her to hold the other end of the board. That's what I need. Do I need that? Yes, I need that. Because there are, I mean, it, I could figure out a way to do it, but it would take me four times longer to figure out a way to hold that end up um, so that I can work at this end. Uh, it was so much better to have her there. I mean, she's much more efficient, listens a lot better than a block of wood, okay? That I could try to figure out a way to hold up that end while I'm working at this end. Now, do you think I just put my wife down because I compared to a block of wood? She is much superior to that, okay? So you're grinning. She just compared his wife to a block of wood. No, I contrasted her to that, okay? And so we, we understand that God has placed our wives into our lives for a very important reason. He has seen her necessity. We were, and that necessity is not born out of the fact that we are just sinful men with limitations. It was born in the place of sinlessness, in the Garden of Eden, in a perfect place, perfect environment. Everything's good. I'm walking with God, and God looks and says, it's just not really good for you to be alone, and I'm going to make you a helper suitable for you, and gives us her. And honoring is, is part of that is recognizing that her role in our life is necessary, or the word today, essential. That it is not, I can take it or leave it. That honoring her is recognizing that she is one with me. God has seen us as one flesh. Thus a man leaves his father and mother, they're cleaves unto his wife, and they become one flesh. And thus um, we come to a passage like in Corinthians that talks about what is the relationship within your body. Now we recognize, well, my spouse my wife is part of my body, and even as I am part of hers, that we are one flesh in God's sight uh, and should be acting that way. Well, how do we treat our flesh? Do we treat the weaker people with disdain? Do we treat the weaker of the helper with, with malice? Do we treat them with dishonor? No, none of that. Nor do we elevate them as though they are running the show. None of that either. And it's not just a... a public uh, viewing. That's not what this is about. This is about recognizing the essential role they play in our life and the great benefit that they are to us, and therefore we honor them. We protect them, we care for them, we shelter them, we do all those things that we do to the weaker parts of our body. And so uh, when we are uh, preparing to engage in physical activity, we recognize which parts of our body 
are susceptible to injury. We know that our, we don't have a lot of structure in our abdomen, so we're going to protect that part. We know that all of you know your weakest parts, and so we protect those. And, and go on a football field, see what they're protecting. Because they know the places that are subject to injury. But notice that when they are protected, are they more visible or less visible? Ah, they're less visible. And so when we understand this role, we recognize that there is an element that it is not the, the uh, showy, uh, pushed-in-the-front person that is probably most honored by her husband, but rather it is the one that is well-protected and even sometimes hidden from view. Not because, and the world would have you think, well, you do that because you're ashamed of her. No, because you have the wrong concept of what honoring is. But rather that under that, understand this is a weaker vessel, this is a part of who I am that is very necessary. I recognize that. I recognize her role in a biblical model here of why God gave her to me. I want to protect her. I want to shelter her. I want her to uh, perform that function that God has for her to their very best ability without injury, without uh, exposure, without uh, danger in her life. And so we ought to be using the concepts of protection, sheltering in that, in that place of honor. Those would be more appropriate words that we're going to take on this role. Now, what is the basis of this role? We talked about some of the basis for our wives in terms of why they should be doing this, some of the necessary qualities, um, humility, example, uh, that we used, and, and things on that line. And we immediately see this is why I kept reading into the next passage in Corinthians. We go from understanding the the less presentable, you might say our wives are not presentable. You see, the world has confused us in seeing that she's just a pretty face, that she's a trophy, that she's, you want her, you want to say, wow, you know, she's a knockout, all those kinds of concepts, and they think that that's honoring her. But biblically, that's very dishonorable to her. And we have lost track of that. And, and we've, been, we've bought into the secular view that objectifies women. And that we use them as simply uh, facades of our life, another facade that we show. You know, here's my, I got fancy wheels on my car, I have this beautiful wife, and I have this summer cottage. You know, just another one of those things that I put on my list. And we think that's, no, that's not honoring her, it's objectifying her. Biblically, when we see this concept, the underlying requirement for the husband is to love his wife. And there's no mistaking that having just talked about the weaker vessels and and the stronger parts of the body, that we immediately move to, well, what is the best way to approach all of this is understanding what love entails, and we hopefully have a good knowledge of what God's word describes for the husband's major role. I find only one place in all of scripture where wives are told to love their husbands, and it's third hand. 
it's the older women of the church are to teach the younger women how to love their husbands. It's the only place you'll find that instruction given. But you'll find it over and over again, husbands love your wives. Husbands love your wives. Husbands love your wives. That this is the, the driving factor of honoring them and taking on the responsibilities that we have for them. I have a responsibility to portions of my body to protect them. What portions of my body do I use to protect them? I use my hands, and my hands have been abused horribly to protect other parts of my body. Do this, something comes at you, do that. What do you do? You put those hands right out there, don't you, to protect you. You're falling to the ground. What is your first instinct to do? Throw your hands out there to catch yourself, right? And because of that, your hands take an enormous amount of abuse. Gentlemen, you are the hands. You're there because of your love for the rest of, for your wife, for the rest of your body, to put them out there to protect them from injury, harm, abuse, uh, bumps, anything. You are there trying to do that, and you will take the abuse yourself in her place. That is what is entailed in honoring your wife as the weaker vessel. I will take the abuse to protect her. I will not expose her to abuse. That is what's entailed. And that is the opposite of the trophy wife mentality of this world that sets up your wife for a lot of different kinds of abuses. We may take issue with things in, in other cultures and other religions um, that take it too far, and, and I'm not going to here going to advocate for wearing haji, ha, is it haja, what is it, the women wear Islam head-to-toe covering, uh, because there's, it's out of balance in the other direction, and it's part of their humiliation of women, um, is that they have to go walk around this uncomfortable thing. But uh, there is something to be said for the concept of not exposing our women to the abuse, and yes, it is abuse. Our world has repainted that, the abuse of ogling men. There is value there. That I can say, well, that's, and not only for my wife, but my daughters, you know, that's just not appropriate. This is what you're going to, this is not appropriate for you. You're under my protection. We've lost the concept of the moral protection and the value that is there for the husband's role. You have the strength, you have the, hopefully, the discretion to see that and that we honor them by encouraging them and helping them in areas of modesty, of helping them and encourage them in, in not dishonoring them, but actually adding to their honor by saying, you don't need that. You don't need that. Now, does that mean our women should walk around and look like all dumpy? No. No. But we know the difference, don't we? And so we are protecting, we are holding these things uh, that are precious about our wife, and we are holding them in a modest place. We are expressing our love for them and our willingness to take and prevent them from being abused, prevent them from being exploited uh, by the world. This is your job. This is part of honoring your wife as the weaker vessel. 
You're not going to set her up like that. Rather, you are going to stand with her beside, behind you. That you're going to guard her. That you're going to shelter her. And God has designed you to do that much better than your wife. And that's one of the elements of men and women that are so distinctly different. God has equipped you to do that. He has not equipped your wife to guard and protect you. Now, she might feel like that sometimes, and she just can't handle anyone criticizing my husband and, and going at it, and, and it always dissolves <laughs> when that's the case, when it's, when it's her role. No, you are equipped to do that, that we can resolve these things and I'm sure you've heard the whole concept that, well, if women were in charge of the world, there would be no wars. That, that, that's a manly thing. No. Uh, how many wars were started because of men defending women? Their women. And in fact, that comes up, if you've been doing your Bible reading, you've gotten through Kings and Chronicles, the hardest part of the Bible reading schedule is Chronicles. Um, oh, man. Just, um, but... What do we keep hearing? Well, what about your wives and children? Wives and children. Protect your wives and children. Protect your wives and children. This is what they're going to do to your wives and children. As the as a wake-up call to the men to protect and defend their land. What about our wives and children? God has equipped you to do that. To engage in that and to be in combat and all that's involved there, and then to come home from that scene of violence and, and, and horrors, to come home and be tender-hearted and gentle with your family. God has equipped you to do that. He has not equipped women to do that. They cannot put up those compartments in their life like men can. Now, there's some dangers to that, isn't there? Because you can abuse it the other way. Now you can have a little compartment for work that you never let your wife access to, don't, can't you? You compartmentalize your life. And men are more adept at that than women. And there are some dangers, but there's also the purpose for that is to enable us to be the defenders, the protectors, the shelterers of our family. This is what it means to honor the weaker vessel. We learned that here in Corinthians, and we recognize the underlying drive of that is that we love them. The world would have you say, oh no, that's because you're ashamed of them. That's because you think that they can't stand on their own two feet. That's because you want to put us down. None of that is true. Not one single iota of that is true. None of that is true in my heart towards my wife. Yet I still have an intense desire to shelter her, protect her, defend her, and, and just keep her completely free and from abuse. I don't want her to be abused in any way, shape, or form. It is driven by a love, a love that says I'm going to endure what I have to endure to guard her. This is your best representation of honoring her. And what does it require? Well, we have this love chapter describing of what happens when you are the stronger member of the body and you have these very necessary weaker members, well, I'm going to have love toward her. 
recognizing her weaknesses are not my weaknesses, that her weakness is not a matter of me being better than her, it is being different than her, and I have my responsibilities towards her. I really, really enjoy having certain parts of my body that you have never seen. I really enjoy my stomach and abdomen and my digestive system because without it, I could not enjoy food. Right? Have you ever seen any of my guts? No. Aren't you glad? Very necessary, though. I'd hate to be without them. And I have some abdominal muscles there to help protect them, but boy, you start swinging at my gut, I'm going to be like, what's going on here? God, protect that. We honor those as necessary, recognizing that I have responsibility to keep that functioning. And you want a functional wife, you're going to have to take the responsibility in the relationship. To recognize her function requires something of you, demands of you. Can I abuse my stomach and my intestines? Oh, yes, I can. And then they'll rebel, won't they? I can drink poison and my stomach and intestines will kill them. I can, you know, like sugar and caffeine, things, poisons like that. And, and uh, I can just do that and it will rebel. You know, I can have that 1,000, 1,800 degree salsa stuff, hot chili peppers, and my stomach will rebel. I can maltreat it, but the one who's going to suffer from maltreating it is me. You can maltreat your wife, but the one who's going to suffer for that is you. Not her. She'll suffer as well, but you're going to suffer. And that's why Paul says in Corinthians, why would you do injury to your own body? It is, it's nonsensical. You don't purposely do that if you're a healthy, in a healthy mental state. And so we ought to love our wives, and we're going to endure all this. We're going to be kind. We're going to benefit her. We're going to shelter Protect all of that is involved in honoring her as the weaker vessel. Not pushing her aside, saying, oh, you're too weak to do that. That's not what it's referencing at all. That's the other extreme that we're trying to avoid. Is that we can diminish her, look down on her. No, she is a necessary part of who we are. That God has designed to, to help us where we uh, need help. And for that, we honor her. And that honoring is demonstrating a love that, re, that says, I will provide, I will protect, I will shelter, I will defend. That's what is being called for by Peter here in 1 Peter 3, in terms of your wife as a weaker vessel. But that's not the only reason we honor her. That is one reason. That's the first reason here. I got through the first point, and it's only 20 after. We're doing really good. Secondly, we give honor to the wife as being heirs together of the grace of life. Now, there are two elements to this that we're going to uh, talk about very briefly. Uh, being heirs together, that is that we are inheritors. All right? We are the ones that are going to be the benefiters of the grace of life. Now, are we talking about physical life or are we talking about spiritual life? And I'm not going to choose one, I'm going to say both. Uh, it's not exclusive either one here. 
that we are both heirs together of the grace of life in terms of the physical realm, that it is in that context that life is brought forth, is through the relation between a husband and his wife, that we are heirs together, we are the inheritors of the grace of life, of granting life to others. And so certainly this uh, can be used to reference that whole idea of giving, of, of giving birth, of having children. That we are heirs together, that we are, that this is something God has granted us, that we can uh, produce life, human life. And it's a phenomenal responsibility and privilege. And when we go through and look at some Old Testament examples, this comes forward a lot. Um, the one I appreciate the most probably uh, is, is Isaac. And Isaac in Scripture and Rebecca. And um, Isaac. Uh, his wife was, was childless. And it says he, he pled to God on her behalf for her to have children. And God listened to his plea. Now we have uh, other examples throughout Scripture where women were concerned about being childless. Uh, and, and certainly uh, Hannah was praying about having children. And of course, her husband was was uh, attentive, but you don't find him pleading her case. You find her pleading the case and other things. But in Isaac, it's a little bit different because he pled for her. We have nothing said from her perspective that this was bothering her. Um, she had a wonderful relationship with Isaac. It is very evident there that they couldn't even hide that when they were in Egypt and he was trying to claim she was, her sis he, she was his sister. Um, they, they couldn't even hide their affection for one another there and Pharaoh saw them being intimate, and, and uh, said, hey, you know, wait a minute, you're not, not, not Pharaoh, I'm sorry, it was a Philistine, Philistine, Pharaoh was his father in the Philistines, and so, um, you know, Isaac pled for his wife, and God heeded his plea, because they're heirs together, and certainly we have other examples in Scripture where the wives came to the husbands, and, and of course, Jacob with his four women, and, and he just Gave them whatever they wanted because they were heirs together. They were, they are the, they, we have been granted this grace of giving life. It is part of that role. And, and it is wrong if we de-emphasize that as part of the very, if not the primary, at least the secondary purpose in our marriages uh, is not the primary. The primary is that she is there for, to help her husband. And women, gals do not make motherhood a priority over wifedom. All right? Being wife is far more important than being mother. But being mother is a grace of God in your life. And so he pled to God and God listened to his plea of Isaac and Rebekah had the twins, Esau and Jacob. And so we find that uh, this is our part we play together. And it ought to be in the relationship of a loving relationship uh, in not only emotionally but physically that we are producing life. And this is a grace of God. Oh, that we understand the birthing of children is a grace. It is a gift of God that we do not deserve. The Old Testament saints, the New Testament saints understood that concept and their connection of a right relationship between husband and wife to childbearing is given to us in Timothy as well as other, and that relationship from the woman's perspective. But here, from the men's, you have a, the grace of life. And I fear that too many Christians in our churches 
are anti-abortion but not pro-life. You say, what's the difference, Pastor? There's a big difference between those two. We say we're pro-life, but then we don't want to have children. It's, and, and I speak to you that way as someone who held that position myself for a number of years after being married. Hence, we didn't have our children until we were been married, what, over five years. And that was as a seminary student, as a pastoral intern, as a past, all those things. And so it would have been wrong for me to claim that a position that says I'm pro-life when I was trying to avoid producing life. No, God has called us to be heirs together in the grace of life with our wives. This is something we've both inherited from God. It is a, that we can produce godly offspring. And again, God calls us to this and encourages it, and it is a blessing. And notice what the world has done. What the world has done with what God says is a blessing, they have made it a curse. We know it's a lot of work. We raised four of six of them ourselves. We know what's involved there, but it's still a blessing. It is not a curse. It is a grace, an unmerited favor that we've received to be able to author life. It is a blessing. And all that we would emphasize that, not just speak against the abortion, certainly that is true, that once there is life there, should be defended and protected, but why are we going, taking steps to avoid a grace that God has given us? We ought not. The other element of this is the spiritual element. So we have the physicalness that we are as heirs together. So we're going to honor my wife because you're not going to have a baby without her. <laughs> okay? Pretty hard, guys. And I'm not just seeing her as a vessel to carry my babies. That has also been a way other cultures have viewed women, and that's all their purpose was, to have babies. Um, and we can see that through historical figures all through history. Um, probably one of the most famous for us would be Henry VIII. I just need an heir. I'm going to find a woman to give me an heir. Couldn't have been his fault. Um, had to be theirs. And, and we're just going to go through them. And that's all she's good for. It's all the queen is really worth. We're not going to go there um, because, again, the driving element of this is that we have a love for our wives and we recognize one of the graces of and one of the things we share is that this is the means by which we have life. The other view of this passage, and again, I'm not picking one. I'm going to use both of them because both of them are true and have merit, is that we're talking about that we are both recipients of spiritual life the grace of life that we have inherited from Jesus Christ, bringing us full circle back to Christ. And again, uh, we can look at uh, <laughs> uh, some other plenty of passages, talk about, well, it doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Greek, whether you're slave or free, whether you're male or female, we are all partakers of the same gospel, of the same salvation. There is not a hierarchy of faith. We are heirs together. We are joint heirs. We are mutually 
inheriting the grace of life from God our Father, through Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. And so we, while she is in a weaker state in the physical realm, does not mean that she is a lesser state in the spiritual realm. She is an equal heir of Christ. She is a son of God. That sounds weird. I'm a son of God. Yes, we're sons of God. Equal inheritors of uh, eternal life in Christ Jesus. No distinguishment between male and female. No distinguishment between Jew and Greek. No distinguishment between rich and free. No distinguishment between that. Slave or free, sorry. Slave, no, no distinguishment there. And so be careful how you treat her because you need to honor her as an equal partner before God spiritually that while you have a role to fulfill of leadership, of headship, even in the spiritual realm, it does not diminish who she will be in eternity. And she will not be your wife, right? Because it's till death do you part. And once you're dead, it's over, contrary to what the Mormons think. Okay? She's not in a diminished... And, and think about that. The Mormons and the Muslims, all of these other faiths have women in a diminished role in eternity. They maintain a diminished role into eternity. Christianity says, no, you're equal. Their inheritance is the same as your inheritance. So be careful. And one of the great stories, not a parable, uh, in Scripture about the rich man Lazarus. Just because your roles are, I'm wealthy and quote-unquote blessed and God prospers me, uh, versus Lazarus, who's got sores and beggar and, and just nasty, and, and is, uh, God's forsaken him. Well, you couldn't be more wrong. The fact was the reverse, wasn't it? And we get into eternity, we find this prosperous one in, a, in the lake of fire. We find him in torment, and, and we find Lazarus in Abraham's bosom, in paradise. Although we would understand that our wives are equal heirs before God, and therefore we ought to respect them as fellow believers. That we do not confuse our role as head with our capacity of spiritual, spirituality versus theirs. We have equal capacity spiritually, while we have distinctive roles. And I'm not going to dishonor her role simply because it might be viewed as lesser uh, as, you know, I don't know. Have you ever seen any heads functioning without a body? I know they're in sci-fis every now and then you have this head with bubbly stuff all around it trying to live. And, and have you ever seen a head function without a body? Not for very long. And so we recognize the necessity of the body to keep, to, in, in, for the head to, even if it has some control, it has control elements involved there, um, we understand the necessity of the head, to the life of the body, of the, to the necessity of the body, to the life of the head. And so we understand the necessity of our wives, but on a spiritual level, suddenly we recognize, well, they have a spiritual capacity equal to mine. We have a spiritual kingdom, uh, an inheritance equal to mine. And thus we are going to 
honor them as fellow saints. Again, a better word than than what you might think of, of of, of respecting that this is an equal child of God with me. That concept of honor is here. That I recognize this is my, and I'm going to use both these principles, this is my partner in producing the grace of life. This is also an equal inheritor of eternal life with me. She is also a child of God. Be careful how you treat her. And this is going to drive us into uh, next week's message a little bit. Uh, but we're going to, the necessity of understanding these two roles in this idea of honoring our wives. That we are going to guard, protect, shelter her. That we are going to respect who she is in her role and who she is in Christ and the great grace that is ours because of that relationship. And again, what is the driving force behind this? There's no mistake in Peter that the next verse is going to drive us right into the concept of love again. We saw it in Corinthians 12, going into Corinthians 13, and now we see it here in 1 Peter 3. Uh, we go into verse 8. It says, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender heart, be courteous. So we're going to talk about some general things, but notice that right tucked in there is be loving, tender-hearted. Oh, this is what it means to honor our wives. Not to parade her about. No. Not to put her forward as as better and more important. No, not that either. You know, and I hear people say, well, this is my better half. And and that's not what it's about either. That's a facade. that's, That's fakery. That's not genuine. Uh, what we are putting forward is that this is my helpmeet. This is the, the one God has given me to help and encourage and to strengthen me and that she is, as, as that person, I'm going to respect that, that she is a partner with me while I have responsibilities upon me of headship. And God will hold you to that. And, I, and we're going to talk a little about that next week. That's going to be the really core of next week, is carrying the responsibility and what that means, not only in your home, but in your spiritual life. I have to carry these responsibilities, but I'm doing this gladly because I love this one. Whether I like her is irrelevant. Please distinguish that, gentlemen. Let that sink in a little bit. You can love your wife even when you don't like her. Now, those times of me not liking my wife have really diminished over the years, I've noticed. Um, I used to regularly say, there are lots of times I don't like my wife. Um, when she does this, when she does that, when she does that, and I list those off. And, and I've, I don't do that anymore because there just aren't any. You know, I like her a lot more now than I did before. But I've lo- and hopefully I love her a lot more now than I did before. See, love is a commitment like is affectations. They are just up and down based upon um, the things in your life that you're looking for at that point. 
But love is an enduring thing. Do you see it? Love endures. It is consistent. And if love is our driving force behind this concept of honoring our wives, we will always grant her the respect she should have as our mutual, our partner, if you will, that's heirs, our mutual heirs, our partner in the grace of life. She's my partner. And as the weaker partner, I understand that more responsibility falls on me, and I'll honor her by fulfilling those responsibilities to my utmost of defending, protecting, sheltering. I will do those roles. I will not expose her to ridicule. I will not expose her to fear. I will not expose her to injury. I will not expose her to abuse in any way, shape, or form. Physically, mentally, emotionally, none of it. Spiritually, I'll fulfill my role. And we'll drive into this uh, extensively next week. Men, love your wives. And the outpouring of that love will that you will honor them, not like the world says, like the Bible describes. In this, your wives will respond to. They recognize the great benefit of being in that home where they are honored as the weaker vessel and as partners in the grace of life. They seem to be contradictory because we follow the world's ideas instead of biblical concepts of what are involved in, the, in honoring another. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for this time, your word, for the power of your scriptures to explain itself. And Lord, we pray that we might not come to it with the world's philosophies filling our head, but that we might immerse ourselves in your truth. And that we might understand how to put this into practice in our daily life. Again, not according to the world's ideas, but according to your truth. Lord, I pray that you might help our husbands to love their wives. That it might be a testimony, not only to their wife, but most importantly to their children. That it might be a testimony within our church, to our to younger husbands and wives. There might be a testimony to the world. Lord, help us to emulate you in our marriages. That you might receive the glory, honor, and praise. That our homes might be places of peace, of safety. In that loving environment that our children might see that and desire after that same faith that is evidenced in their parents' lives. And we praise in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.